Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, you know, coming into this recording, I was really excited because I thought we were going to have a lot to talk about. But I thought back on this week, a lot of news, a lot of conversations online and in real life about Major League Baseball. And then as I started listing out the topics in my head, started writing them down in a note on my phone, I realized most of those topics are banned from this podcast. <laughs> and I can't just blame you this time because one of the things that I really wanted to talk about was an article in The Athletic by Evan Drellick talking about a speech that Commissioner Rob Manfred gave, but the, the topic of that speech was also banned. So I have to look inward. I have to blame myself as well. So I think on this podcast, instead of discussing baseball, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to play a recording from karaoke on Friday night. That you and me, good. all yep. the songs that we sang. Right. Probably we did the they, new Boy Genius album front to back. Right. They probably amount to about an hour and 20 minutes. That's mm-hmm. the normal episode length for tipping pitches. It's not going to be the two-hour pod that seemingly everyone on earth wants. I know. Except you and me. <laughs> What are we, Taylor Swift? Like, so we'll see you next week, I guess. <laughs> baseball's back, Bobby. Yeah, baseball is back. Is that exciting to you? I think so. Have you watched all of the A's games so far? I, all, I mean, all two of them. I actually have. Yeah. Nice. How are you feeling? Kyle Muller. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's your Cy Young right there. They call him Kyle. Eckersley Muller, you know, it really messes, uh, really messes with my head because we have a friend named Kyle Miller. Yep. <laughs> so it just looks like a wow, typo. I can't believe you're doxing his real time <laughs> assassination coordinates. <laughs> speaking of assassination coordinates, I right, saw that the speaking New- of I saw that the New York Times lost their check mark today, but I still got mine. We're going strong. <laughs> what What's the assassination coordinates tie in? Like just Twitter, okay, just Elon general <laughs> behavior. <laughs> I was like, are you about to divulge a long-standing beef with with the New York Times? Times? I mean, you probably could. So the A's. Mm. 85 wins this year? I mean, they are on pace for 500 ball. That's right. That's big. That's That's big. big. We don't know what they're going to do tonight, though, by the time this podcast publishes. In that case, they could be on pace for like 50 700 ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I went the negative (laughs) route. You went the positive route. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm just kidding. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about that is not banned from this podcast. And you know what? If we if we run afoul of the banned topics, what's going to happen? Someone going to show up here? Someone going to shut the podcast recording down? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, we're going to talk about just opening day, the season coming back, a few quick hit thoughts, topics about baseball being back. Um, and then, of course, we have the highlights from the Minor League Baseball Collective Bargaining Agreement which was tentatively agreed to earlier this week, ratified by the minor leaguers on Friday and has gone to vote with the major league owners. So we're waiting to hear back on what they vote. Seemingly, they are going to vote yes. Um, And we're going to discuss all of that. But before we do, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Faisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. 
Alex, new patrons this week. Jake, Tuck, Emma, Alex, Nick, Declan, and Max. Big week. Big week. Something well, it's, it's opening day. You know, people want to talk about opening day. Um, not a not a member of the Alex Hive, but Alex A L I X mm. could be pronounced Alex. But I know someone else who has the name A L I X, and they pronounce it Alex. So right. I'm just powering through. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm now drawing great attention to the fact that I will, am pronouncing <laughs> it wrong. If that is in fact the wrong pronunciation, but I needed to point that out because. It just seems like every week there's a new Alex or Alex adjacent name in the Patreon, and I just don't know what's going on there. It's like statistically improbable at this point. We've been doing a lot of canvassing of right. like adjacent names in other Do you have other like a chats? long list, you know, of like the addresses of everybody named Alex in yeah. the United States or in yeah. the major cities of the United States? Well, we also have on their Al's. doors. Al's. Um, we have Alberts, actually. Alberts. I, don't, I think that one got snuck in there. Um, I think because I because I played an Albert in like the seventh grade musical. Oh yeah! So I get to kind of claim that one. What musical was that? Uh, bye bye birdie. Bye bye birdie. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the content of that one. How? What? What was your performance like? Were you in character on set, like Daniel Day Lewis? <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah, it was a little Marlon Brando method acting. Right. Um, I th- I think that's set in like the mid 20th century. So I had my like transatlantic accent going on the whole time. Your the, the, your transatlantic accent has come up a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Apparently, somehow. <laughs> big big accent guys over here. Well, I'm not going to not ask you to do it now. Do you want to do the transatlantic accent? No, I don't. You don't want to call these base these four baseball games that you're watching while we're trying to record this podcast in the transatlantic accent. Mark Hanna just singled up the middle. You want to do transatlantic accent, Gary Cohen? I know. I really shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, baseball's here. How you feeling? I'm good, man. Yeah. I every year I think I don't realize how much I missed it until it's back. And then I I can't imagine my life. Without it, as evidenced by the fact that there was baseball all day long on opening day, and then the next day there was there was none. Right, and I know I know you have a, a rant that you'd like to get to, and I want to I want to give you space for that. But but generally speaking, we might as well just do it right now. Our, we hey, might as well, hey just, man, speak on it. It's second on the list of things that I want to talk about, but uh, since you brought it up, I'm just going to do it right now. Okay, the schedule makers they need to be put to trial. We need to reel them in. What is happening? Mm-hmm. Who made the schedule? First of all. Okay, everybody's playing everybody. That is like a qualitative choice that they made. That we're going to increase interleague play. Everybody's going to play everyone at least once throughout the season, which means you'll be playing your division rivals less. Which, I mean, I've, I knew that that was a thing that was happening. I don't think I really internalized that that meant that for like long stretches of the season, like months of the season, the Mets will not play anyone in the NL East, which is just weird. Like that's a pretty drastic change to the flow of a season, like not seeing your rivals as frequently because of the way that the schedule has worked. The opening day thing is like, this This is just picking nits, honestly, which, you know, we love to do on this podcast. But the fact that you have baseball all day on Thursday from 1 p.m. Eastern till 1.45 a.m. Eastern, 12 and a half straight hours. And then the next day, just no baseball until 7 p.m. Just nothing. Yeah, It's like, here, we gave it to, all to you yesterday. Now, just back with, to the regularly scheduled programming on Friday afternoon. Like, I'm trying to, I was trying to fuck off work at like two, you know, and, and I just stuck around and kept working because yep. I had nothing else to do. Incredibly rude of <laughs> Major League Baseball to make you do that. And on my birthday, no less. Mm-hmm. And on my birthday. Even worse. And the Mets shit the bed and lost 2 1 to the Marlins. 
Finally, the first game that came on was the Mets and Marlins. You know what they did? They promptly lost. <laughs> so those are my thoughts on the schedule. Actually, the Mets are playing opening the season with a four-game series against the Marlins. And then they play the Marlins for a three-game series again next week. And then they don't play the Marlins again till like August. <laughs> the Phillies opened Make their season. Sense. The Phillies opened their season in Texas. Yeah. Against the Rangers. I know. I'm watching Cardinals Blue Jays right now, which maybe maybe they're rivals in nature. The Giants open their season in Yankee Stadium. What is ha- what is happening? I don't, I don't. I mean, I'm definitely going to sound like a crank, no matter how I frame this. But yeah. why are we why are we doing interleague play on opening day? Yeah. What happened to tradition? What happened to just like common sense? Yeah, we used to be a society. Why wouldn't everybody start with a series against their division? Why not? I mean, I guess technically not possible because all the divisions have five teams. Whatever. But so a series against their division, and then. Like the odd man out, you do sort of like more geographical, mm-hmm. geographically sensible decisions. Like just starting the season in Yankee Stadium for the Giants, that just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. It's just not right. Gotta say that's actually kind of a funny one, given uh, what transpired this offseason <laughs> surrounding the Giants and Yankees. That's the one I'm kind of okay with. And then Aaron Judge Homer's on the first swing that he takes <laughs> like, in 2023. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Um, my other thoughts from opening day, Alex. Incredible news dump by the New York Mets to announce that Justin Verlander was going to begin the season on the IL with a strain of his Terrace Major. That's a that's a body part Not, I knew we had. Well, I mean, I'm familiar with the Terrace Minor, but the Major was really the, the one that I don't know as well. Right. I, I don't. Me and the Minor, we go way back, but the Terrace Major. Right. We don't know each other that well. I mean, the Major one is far more upbeat. And like happy than the minor one, right? right? That's much more somber, I think. Exactly, right, yeah. And the Mets opening day game was at four. So they announced it a couple hours before their game. Right around the time that the rest of the games were starting. So they were really just trying to bury that. (laughs) There's no way that they found out that he had this strain on Thursday morning. Right. Just, why does this shit have to happen? (laughs) I can't answer that for you. The Mets have already lost Edwin Diaz for the year. Bryce Montes de Oca for the year. Jose Quintana till late July. And now Justin Verlander is starting the season on the IL. I know his thing is like minor and supposedly he's going to throw still and he should be I back in like major. a week and a half. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> no, come on. That was pretty good. Um, it's just it's just bad vibes. Bad vibes for them to start the season. Yeah. The Mets are back, baby. They're back. Come on, what did you expect? Um, do you want to talk about John Angelos? Yes, before we before we do though, there's one okay. thing I want to bring up. And I suppose it's a good thing that we didn't ban this. Your face, whole facial expression just changed. Well, I know that with the return of baseball, we get the return of sports betting. I understand that that's kind oh, of part yeah. and parcel of things at this point. Uh-huh. But it just bums me out the way that it has wormed its way into every aspect of the sports culture i mean every single aspect yeah right i i love i love employing mlb tv's um quad game view right where you can watch four games at once um and having wow. four games no free that, ads i know yeah i know and and <laughs> wait speaking of no free ads actually let me give a free ad really quickly if you have t-mobile you can get mlb tv for free still for like another day when this podcast posts which means that you won't have to give $150 or whatever to Rob Manfred. (laughs) So please do that. Anyway, back to your point. 
No free ads. Let it's me just do this such T-Mobile a, ad. Read. It's just such a bummer to have four games up and see four different like sports betting ads. Like, oh yeah, you know, on each time. one. Yeah. Or like tuning into one, and one of the broadcasters is reading like the over under on the run line for the game. Like reading out loud, saying the over under yeah. is set at eight point five. Make your bets now. Get a you know hundred dollars free bet or whatever. Right? They've added yeah. they've added odds to the MLB home run alerts. Like I'm. <sighs> oh, that one was the one that really sent me in that, a, into a rage. Yes, the MLB home run account like got a sponsorship to put the odds for. I guess that that home run hit that day. Right. That that Aaron Judge would hit a home run right there. The odds were. F- 500, you know, like that's like that already happened. That doesn't help you. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what is the context? That's old that's news been... at that point. <sighs> it's just so dumb. Uh, did you see that? Speaking of CBAs, did you see that the NBA signed their new collective bargaining agreement also mm-hmm. this past week? Yeah. Part of that collective bargaining agreement was that players uh, in the NBA now have the ability to, quote, invest in NBA and WNBA teams. As well as promote and/or invest in sports betting and cannabis companies, according to Sham Sharania. Can you? What does that mean? So, like, LeBron can buy a stake in the Clippers, right? And Bally, <laughs> and Bovada, right? Exactly. And I don't know the name of a weed company, but like, wh- Why? Why don't we just share more of the revenue? He has to buy into the ownership group of his own team to get more of the yeah. revenue? Like, I don't really understand that. Right. You're saying his name a lot. And I um, I have to think that he's someone who had a pretty big hand in this. Definitely. Right? Who, like, wants to invest in the new Las Vegas expansion franchise, right? And, like, well, I don't set think up he his... wants to invest in it. I think he, <laughs> like wants, he wants to completely to... own it. Own it. Yes, exactly. Yes. I think that that team will not happen until LeBron retires. Exactly. Yeah. I we're so That's far LeBron past James, the, owner the of the, the Boston Red Sox to you, by the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't remind me. <laughs> yes, we're fast we're past the Rubicon. How is that not a conflict of interest? I can't tell you. I can't tell you. In the NFL, they suspended a player for like two years because he bet on a game. You know? Isn't there like minor leaguers who have been suspended for betting on games too? Yeah. We're back in my I'm just saying things like stories that I kind of remember era, but right. I don't Didn't really know happen? if that's true. I feel like that happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. It's just as you as you say like we're asking for conflicts of interest at this point. And like we're only at the beginning of this too. And I just if you want to bet on sports, more power to you. Doesn't affect me in any way whatsoever. But don't shove it down my throat, you know? Mhm. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we are I mean we are living in an era of one big conflict of interest. Everything is a conflict of interest because everything is owned by the same people. Right. So. I mean, in that regard, there's really no conflict of interest then. <laughs> the interests are all out in front of you. Right, exactly. If you look hard enough. <laughs> um, okay. John Angelo's time. I think that's a phrase that we will say a lot on this podcast. Should we have a, should we have like a little music for him? Like mm. anytime we're going to talk about John Angelos, we drop a little soundbite in there, a little bumper. Should I create something? Yeah, I think you should. Or if one of our intrepid listeners would like to, you know, they, they really rose to the occasion when asked to to For write Bob a Bob Castellini. Castellini jingle. Well, at this point, if we just keep this bit going, we'll have a jingle for every single owner. Anytime they come up, we'll just, all right, it's time to play Angelos, the Angelos song. Right. <laughs> right. John's theme. John- <laughs> 
John's theme number three. Yeah. You know, like it's like the third one that the person <laughs> right. came up with. You're like, what? Where? What happened? To number one and two. Right. Moreno Sonata number five. <laughs> <laughs> Moreno Sonata. <laughs> That's so good. Um, I would like one for Artie. I feel like that name lends itself well to a little jingle. It does. See, I love the Castellini one so much, but we just don't get to do it enough. I know. He's got carrots and lettuce and mushrooms, porcini, the vegetable king, Bob Castellini. If someone wants to come up with something, then, then, then that's great. If not, I'll just, I'll make my own little jingle. John Angelos. John Angelos. Man of the hour. Uh, John Angelos was being interviewed um, by 1070 The Fan, which I believe is the official radio partner of the Orioles. I, th- I think that they do the radio broadcast for Orioles games. And so that's why he has like a either a standing interview with them or like that's why he was being interviewed by them around opening day. And he was asked about the time like three weeks ago when he volunteered to open the books to the Baltimore Orioles for press if they wanted to. This wasn't actually three weeks ago. It was in February for Martin Luther King Day, if you'll remember. And he was like, this is an inappropriate question to ask me on this day of all days, MLK Day. And um, so people have been wondering, and this is kind of like the first interview that he has done since then, um, other than like a few days ago when he was like, we probably won't be able to extend Adley Rushman, <laughs> which was cool. That was a cool thing he did. Um, and he was asked about whether or not he was still open to giving a little bit more insight into the financial uh, state of the Baltimore Orioles. And I'd, I'd like to point out, he volunteered this, too. It was not like reporters came to him and, yes. said, and said, will you open the books today? I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, it it came up and it's something that every reporter is interested in. But he said, you can come down tomorrow. I won't talk about this today, but come down here tomorrow and I'll open every last page. (laughs) Well, so he was being asked if the Orioles were going to stay in Baltimore, basically, because their lease is expiring. They chose not to opt into an extra two years or five years or whatever for the lease at Camden Yards because you know, if you read between the lines, what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep that card on the table to threaten the city of Baltimore to try to get more money, more public funds for um, updates and improvements that need to be made to Camden Yards and the surrounding area. So he was basically being asked about that and whether how whether the team is financially solvent enough to be able to take care of some of these things on their own if Baltimore decides not to give them money. And that's when he was like, well, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm not talking about the Oreos leaving. Uh, you can come look at the books tomorrow. If we can, I, I can answer questions about that tomorrow. You come down to Camden Yards and we can do that then. So yes, like you said, he volunteered this information. And then when a radio host followed up about this on opening day, he was like, it's an interesting concept. And I saw hang that. On, hang on. What a bar. <laughs> Whenever someone asks me if I'm going to complete the thing I said I was going to do, and I say it's an interesting concept. That you know, that's fascinating to me. Hey, Bobby, do you have that edit for me? Well, that edit is an interesting concept. What is to have? <laughs> could you define? Could you use that in a sentence? It's an interesting concept, and I saw that my good friends at the Baltimore Sun wanted to weigh in on that today. When the hedge fund that owns the Baltimore Sun, based in New York City, wants to open their books, I guess we'll take a look at that. 
It's difficult for me to understand what the fascination is. I will say this. There are a lot of teams in the Baltimore-Washington metropolitan area that are for sale. We might be the only one that's not. And I might be the only control person and managing partner that is a Maryland resident, pays taxes in Baltimore City. I would love to see his tax returns. So is he, is he volunteering his tax returns? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll look at those. Prove it. And in the state of Maryland and has spent every day of my life living inside the city. So he's referring to, I guess, the journalists that were asking him originally about whether they would open the books and weighing in on the fact that he basically has gone silent on that front. Right. There had been an article in the Baltimore Sun that had come out just a day or two before that basically said they missed every single self-imposed deadline. Right. Remember when he said he was going to do this and then didn't? (laughs) And then so then he's weighing in being like, well, will the owner, the hedge fund that owns the Baltimore Sun open their books? It's like, do you think that the journalist writing that wouldn't want to see the hedge funds books too? Like that's a total misdirection. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's like when someone says, Bobby and Alex, why won't you do a two-hour podcast? And I'm like, well, have you seen how many two-hour podcasts are being done by Joe Rogan? (laughs) Right. Why don't you do a (laughs) two-hour podcast? It's like, because I'm not a podcaster. Um, So the feigning surprise at the fact that there is public interest in wanting to see a Major League Baseball team's books. My question is, why is he doing this right now? Like, in your honest estimation, now that the Orioles' rebuild is somewhat on the swing, on the upswing, and they're actually seeing some of these prospects who they intentionally tanked and cost these insane cost-cutting measures, very similar to the Houston Astros, because the person at the helm of the Baltimore Orioles is the same person who was in the front office of the Houston Astros, Michael Elias, putting into effect a lot of these practices and strategies and philosophies. And now that those players are finally starting to come up and there's like wider public interest in the team and what they're actually going to do with this and whether they're going to invest to build out the rest of the roster, whether they're going to invest to keep the Orioles in Baltimore, these outstanding questions, which I don't feel like are like the the question of whether the Orioles are going to leave Baltimore. It's not, it's not like they're the most likely team to leave their city right now, but typically if there's a lease that's expiring, it's a fair question. And then the owner will shut it down or the owner will keep the door open and invite more questions, which is what Angelos did. But my my question for you is, why is after years and years and years of him doing almost no interviews, why is he suddenly trying to be the aggro antagonistic owner of the year, more or less? Why is he trying to fit into the shoes that the Castellinis fit into last year? I mean, I think there's a couple things at play here, right? Uh, he recently took over as the point person in the Orioles ownership group, right? Because of his father's uh, health issues. And in addition to that, right, there was this kind of long standing internal legal dispute among the Peter Angelos's kids, right? About who would have control over the team, right? And that recently got settled as well. So I think there's a little more clarity on that front as to what the management structure of the franchise looks like going forward. And I think Angelos is probably, I mean, well aware of the reputation that the Orioles have cultivated over the last decade or so. And in his mind, this is probably his way of reclaiming that narrative, right? And saying, we're not the cheap, um, you know, joke of a franchise that has been the butt of the joke, that has been the butt of the joke for the last you know, 
10 years or whatever, we actually, you know, we want to be on the cutting edge, right? We want to have these initiatives with the city of Baltimore and we've got the young prospects and, and I can come out and like, you know, uh, I can come out and banter with the media, you know, and, and say we're transparent and I'll take you down to the third floor of Camden Yards and you can go. Sounds you like know, such like, a threat. <laughs> I know. What else happens in the third floor, John? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, what's that crowbar in the corner for? <laughs> But he just seems like someone who has not had to do this before and as a result doesn't know the things to say. Like there's a way to say you're going to be transparent without actually offering anything up. Like he needs a crash course in ownership PR of learning how to say nothing while sounding like you're saying something. I mean, why would he know how to do this? He's the spoiled son of a rich guy. Right. Yeah, who didn't actually buy this team? We're in a we have a wave right now of inherited baseball teams, right? We have the Yankees, we have the Nationals, we have the Orioles, we have we have the Reds, uh, we have the Twins, and you know to a lesser extent the Guardians, where Paul Dolan is not he didn't I don't think he inherited this team necessarily, but he inherited the wealth of the Dolan family to purchase sports teams with, you know, and. I'm sure there are some that I'm forgetting. Um, but they all have such interesting relationships to the notion that they're that fans and media like have questions about these franchises, which, you know, to them, they've basically just owned their whole lives, or like they've inherited and have carte blanche to manifest whatever vision that they have for the team onto. But there's a deepening entrenchment among ownership because I feel like there is a louder public conversation about how ownership behaves. Like, does that make sense? Like owners are leaning harder into to holding on to what they have because I feel like they see more of a public fervor for holding them to account. And at the same time, the owners who are not behaving in line are exposing them more than they did in previous eras. And whether that's because of a wave of owners who actually want to compete and win or like see that there is room to win in this market where half the teams aren't really trying for whatever reason that they're claiming, or whether that is because Bud Selig ran a tighter ship than Rob Manfred, or whether that's because outside financial factors have a bigger impact on the game now than they used to, I don't really know why that is, but it feels like we have owners wearing it in public more than they used to. Yeah, I think there's an increased visibility and accessibility of some of this younger generation of owners who, as you mentioned, like have been handed a lot of this on a silver platter and for, you know, generations have largely gone unchecked in their power over the sport, right? And all of a sudden, there's a bit more of a combative environment where reporters and fans are less willing to take ownership claims at face value. And I think a lot of the younger owners or representatives of the team don't exactly know how to handle that. It was, you know, Angelo's going back to his dad and saying, you didn't tell me they were going to ask about how much money we make. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to have to do that. So I think it's a really interesting time to sort of be witnessing how owners are interfacing with the public because they're forced to more than they ever have before. 
right? All of a sudden, we're not so comfortable just tepidly accepting that 30 billionaires can control our fate, right? Yeah, but it's also, it comes at a weird time because, you know, the next topic that we have here is kind of the opposite of, you know, I wanted to talk to you about the Rob Manfred media tour that's going on right now. And that has been going on for the last 14 months where it feels like what the league wants you to think is more cohesive than ever. Like I understand what Major League Baseball wants me to like about the game. I don't think those are the right things to like about the game on all instances. Some of them are. There are good people working in MLB and MLB marketing and PR who are trying to get people in on the correct things in the game. Like I think about the Play Loud campaign or whatever. I think about some of the work that like MLB social channels do. And I think that they're actually really good. Like I think that the MLB social channels like TikTok and Instagram and like the videos of like behind the scenes stuff with the teams. I think that stuff is like better than other leagues, better than the NFL, better than the NBA. And those leagues might get complacent about their popularity or like their, the love for their sports in a way that baseball doesn't necessarily do because they've had to make this concerted effort to make their players seem more relatable and likable because of generations of players being like boring and weird. But the league itself feels like it is messaging the same thing over and over and over again. In the last month, it's taken shape as rule changes, which we're not going to talk about any of the specifics of. But when you watch broadcasts in spring training or this year, or when you see commercials or when you see Brian Cranston voiceover for an ad about how the game is changing because of these rule changes, it all feels like they know what they want to say. And then at the same time, the collection of owners feel like they are less on the same page than ever. And I just feel like it's an interesting dichotomy that we're observing right now because Rob clearly has this idea of like one baseball and getting everyone under the same umbrella and keeping everybody on message and whatnot. But he's not a strong enough commissioner to get other owners to buy into that. Like, because there was this other article that Evan wrote, Evan Drellick wrote in The Athletic, where... Manfred gave a speech at an executive luncheon in New York City, which is, I'm assuming, just like boosters or donors or whatever. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the speech focused on the this idea of analytics and how it's changed the game, which, again, <laughs> is a banned topic. But there's quotes in there from anonymous, more senior owners talking about how they don't understand why they have analytics departments and what they're doing and what it's doing for the game. So while we have... Rob trying to keep everyone singing the same song in one hand. We have other owners who are like, I don't even know what analytics are. And then we have some organizations like the Rays who are like acting like they're sending a rocket to the moon. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just, it's a lot of interesting competing thoughts right now with like the brand and the shield, like we would call it in NFL. Like what MLB is right now. It's like a big question, but I found myself thinking it a lot over the last week as we've been building up towards opening day and thinking about what is what is going to characterize the season. Yeah, there are a few different strands on there. Yeah, there are a few different strands in there that I think are are worth pulling, but what's striking to me about the league's messaging is that again, I it is very cohesive and I understand what they want us to like about the game, but I don't it still feels remarkably kind of out of touch. Um, Performative. R- right. I, you know, 
Rob Manfred is again relaying this story to a this executive luncheon that um as you mentioned, a senior owner told him who said, you know, I don't know what this analytics thing is. I need to figure out what the hell they do. Um, and the owner comes back to Manfred and it's like, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, analytics is an arms race to nowhere. Such a bar. Such a bar. What does it let's mean? Start calling, I, <laughs> let's start calling things arms races to nowhere. Yes. <laughs> Capitalism is an arms race to nowhere. All right, we're I done. Mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> And again, I know the topic of hand-waving at analytics without divulging what that means is technically banned. But Yeah, but I'm not here to debate it, the value of analytics. And right. I don't think the owner really was either. I mean, it speaks to just how out of tune a lot of owners are. And by extension, the commissioner of the sport, right? Because Manfred goes on to say, you know, I agree with that sentiment. It's become one of my favorite lines because I think it's actually true. As opposed to the other lines that you have to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, I look at MLB and I don't see a league that is confident in what part of their product people are going to like. Because I, I see a commissioner's office who thinks that has done the market testing and thinks that they know what to put in their ads. I see some ownership groups who think that what people want is young cost-controlled players and they're willing to put their fans through a decade of malfeasance for the chance at doing that, which is not I don't think what people want. Right. <laughs> I see other ownership groups who are like, we want to get all the good players, which I think is closer to what people want. And yet it doesn't seem to coalesce for me in making the fans feel wanted. All no, of these competing strands of like, what is baseball in the 2020s are not melding together as a sauce yet. And it feels like, you know, different smaller communities are doing the work to vocalize and, you know, build foundations for what they like about the game. Like, you know, the people of our Slack know what they like about baseball and they can tell it to anyone and explain it very clearly. But it would not sound anything like what the actual people in charge of the sport would tell you about why you should like baseball. And I feel like that disconnect is just becoming more and more and more profound year over year. I mean, what we are seeing is the plight of the billionaire, right? Which is which is not so concerned about the the public liking your product, but is concerned with the public liking you. Right. It's like it's the it's like the Elon Musk condition, right? Where it's like, I'm going to tailor my product to what I think will make me the most popular, right? I'm going to come out and and offer up the financial records that, you know, you say you wanted so much, right? Because I think it's going to make me look better, make yeah. our organization look better, right? We're going to put out all these, you know, communications and media like clips and all these things that talk about how great the sport is right now, you know, so like so like you really recognize how hard we're trying. Like I think owners and the sports administrators are more aware than ever of just how much public opinion is maybe not in favor of them as an institution, right? Like knowing that baseball as a sport is doing fine, but maybe people don't think that the people in charge of the sport are doing everything they could for the health of it, right? And yeah. so it's a lot of virtue signaling about like, look at us, look how hard we are trying to make the sport better for the future. 
I just keep coming back to this this word insecure. Like they are trying so hard because they aren't sure about the health of the game or they aren't sure that they know what direction to push the game in. And I don't know I don't I actually don't think that that's true of Rob. I actually think right. he knows he has a pretty clear-eyed vision as we are seeing with the rule changes and with Sorry, the what? Right. I'm just going to be bleeping this out the whole yeah. time. As I mean he gave like a trillion interviews around the rule changes and he was in the booth talking about them as the pitchcom went out in the in the Rangers and Phillies game on opening day and they're sitting there like oh this is less than ideal commissioner the the pitchcom going out while you're in the booth and they're calling it a disaster it was truly great but i think rob has a clear-eyed vision and it's the same technocratic approach that we've always expected rob to have but he doesn't really control like the long-term two-decade health of the sport right i mean he has a large hand in actually enacting the strategies that the owners control but but they're they're governing this like they're governing the direction of the sport and to me like the number one thing that the league could do right now is get out of the way of the product just do as little as possible yeah. i'm i'm being serious i'm not yeah. even trying to be facetious like the sport is in a great place because of the players and the teams and the development and Kodai Senga having a really solid start in his in his first performance for the New York Mets, really rocky first inning, but he got out of it, only giving up one one run, and now he's coming out in the sixth, um, with with a solid line in line to get the win. Yep, that's why the sport is healthy. Um, <laughs> no, but but actually though, like the actual, we're in a great place with the talent, and it's fun to watch for a lot of different reasons. You know, the sixteen gifable players that we drafted, and the many more on our long list last week are a huge part of that. But but it seems like the league is a roadblock to those people and they would like to tell you that they are promoting them, but only at the expense of the customer. <laughs> like we have to, you have to pay more than you ever have to be able to actually see these stars who they, who they allegedly want you to see more than anything else in the world. And that's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. You can, however, watch minor league baseball for free through the Bally casino app. <laughs> So, promoting the health of the game. Well, they have minor the future, baby. <laughs> they have minor league baseball on MLB TV too. Not for free, though. Right? Exactly. Hey, speaking of the minor leagues, Bobby. Speaking of the minor leagues, we have a CBA. Did Did you know that they were just like bargaining, <laughs> like hard? <laughs> I don't know how you would know. Nobody was talking about it. Nope. Nobody was like, "Hey, guys, we're close." I didn't hear a damn thing. You would have thought that somebody would have just put a little birdie in our ears, being like, get ready for this. No, but it is here at sort of long last, at short last. It was like the turnaround on this was kind of unreal. Can I ask you right off the bat a hard yep. question? Yeah. That I want to be careful about the tone that I ask it. Okay. <laughs> How did you feel about the general vibe once the CBA tentative agreement was announced? The se- and by that, I mean the laudatory, celebratory tone of all of the people who saw that it was signed or that it was agreed to tentatively. I mean, it's interesting because it's an interesting concept, Bobby, um, <laughs> because this is a historic moment in baseball history, right? Like yeah. this is something that 
has been overdue for for decades and as we'll get into like contains serious improvements to lifestyle in the minor leagues right when it comes to pay when it comes to to housing and name image likeness rights there's there's a whole host of things in there that minor leaguers now have that they did not have before and i think that can't be discounted right recognizing that this is really the first step right this is laying the groundwork for future cbas and future negotiations and and so i think it's it's important to not let that moment go away however mm-hmm. just because it's a cba doesn't mean minor leaguers now have everything they need and will for the foreseeable future right this is still only a first step um yeah and i i think for good reason there were a lot of people who were celebrating this as finally minor leaguers have the representation that they have so long deserved and I think that's true. And I think there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. But it's going to be really important now, moving forward, to stay tuned into this, right? Because there's still a lot of unknowns about how this is actually going to play out, especially with regards to the continuing, the continual gutting of minor league rosters, right? Part of this agreement um, was the reduction of the domestic reserve roster from 180 to 165 in the regular season down from 190 to 175 in the offseason. Like, this is important, but the fight is, like, far from over. Yeah, I... Look, I'm not I'm not stupid. I knew there were things that were going to be in here that were not ideal. Otherwise, why would MLB be negotiating this? I knew that there were going to be steps in the wrong direction in exchange for other steps in the right direction. And that's what a CBA is. You give up things that you need because there are other things that you need more. You don't give up things that you just would like to have in a perfect world for in exchange for things that you absolutely need bare necessities because it's we live under capitalism. You know, like we're we're not having all of our needs met and so we need to give away some needs to get more core needs in our lives. And that is what a union can get you. That is what a CBA can get you and that is what is demonstrated by this minor league agreement. Like the pay basically doubled at all levels. It's still bad. It's still not nearly, not anywhere close to the value that they are providing in the aggregate for Major League Baseball teams and the insane surplus value that they've provided them for over 100 years. And, and, And it's still below what development leagues in other sports pay their players, right? I mean, the, the, highest earning minor leaguer will earn $35,800 in AAA. Right, salary wise, not salary signing. Wise. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Which is is bad, but I mean I think that those numbers also look really low in part because they're not including the cost of housing which was recently also mm-hmm. agreed to be covered by Major League Baseball and is now codified in the CBA including some improvements even to the housing policy that was instituted a year ago. I think it was a year ago, right? So, yes, the actual like bullet points of this agreement aside, I just it always makes me a little bit queasy to see people lauding a deal without actually knowing like how everyone feels about it or like how the vibe of the negotiations went or like how that fight actually played out 
or who had the largest hand in constructing this deal. Right. Like the owners are probably going to sign off on this, which tells you a little something. The owners about are it, right. Like, like I think that they are grousing a little bit that they ever had this minor league thing become such a problem in the first place because of how overt and draconian and awful MLB handled this whole process since the Save America's Pastime Act. Like they really walked themselves into this problem and then just had no plan for getting themselves out of it. And then that led to creating an environment in which minor leaguers were brave enough to step up and speak out about some of these things or were pissed off enough or were desperate enough to speak out about some of these things. And, you know, we should say 99% of the people who voted on this CBA voted yes. So that would lead you to believe that there is harmony over what over the contents of it. Otherwise, that number would not be so high. I don't think that we've seen the number of the percentage of people who actually voted on it compared to how many minor leaguers there are. So that doesn't mean that 99% of all minor leaguers voted yes on this. That means that 99% of people who actually responded and voted uh, in the time frame that they gave, which was very short. Uh, I think it was like three days that they had to vote on this, which is too short in my personal opinion. Um, All that being said, more than anything, the thing that I always think about with regards to a CBA is does this make people's lives better tomorrow? Does this make the material conditions of the union members' lives better the second you sign it? And this This is without a doubt. Clearly does. It makes them better yesterday, right? They're getting back pay for spring training. Yes. And for retroactive to the actual start of the season, Mm -hmm. depending on when the owners actually ratify it. So, you know, and I know that the people who are involved in negotiating and in pushing for this union drive think about it in that way too, because we've literally talked to the people who were involved in it, you know, and they've expressed that same sentiment. So I don't think that this was like, this is certainly not like a, a bad deal because this is clearly the deal that was available to them with the resources that they have in the disadvantaged position that they have been forced into for decades and decades and decades. I just kind of like lament the unbalanced nature of the industry. Yeah. <laughs> Still, even after seeing this, like I think that you and I had like pie in the sky visions for what a unionized minor leagues looked like. And it, this was not the vision right? for me personally, because Number one, I didn't expect MLBPA to come in and include them into their union. I think it was good that they did because I think that it expedited this process and it gave them the necessary resources in order to actually like get a deal and organize and push for this and actually win a union drive, which is insanely hard to do, especially yeah. when people are scared for losing their jobs like you can be at the minors. But in my head, I always was expecting it to be like, this would have been a different organization effort, which would have led it to be more confrontational which at its nature might have yielded different a different looking CBA. But there's no guaranteeing that that would have ever happened. And so like there's no this is not me holding anyone at fault here. This is just me kind of reckoning with the fact that you know even after all it took to get this this CBA to a point where it's a realistic possibility and all of the wins along the way that led to it, it's still like Owners are like, we're doing you a favor by paying you $35,000 a year. That just kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, this is going to cost teams roughly $3 million a year, which uh, that's not just just not very much no. money. You know that whole thing about how paying minor leaguers more would like maybe mean the death of the sport because they, they can't afford it? It turns out that was a lie. Yeah. 
Um, and the flip but, side of this coin, right, is like they unionized and they doubled their salaries in the span of like three months. You know, right. like so, so there are there like, are so many positives to take away from this. this. Is, I mean, and I'm just is like is like I mean, it would have been amazing if they had come out and you know everybody's said, making 100k. I mean, yeah, of course, right? That was never going to happen. And I think like again, knowing the precarity of minor league situations, I think expecting them to be really militant, um, it was just not in the cards, right? I mean, they just doubled everyone's pay basically overnight. Right, and that's huge. And there's accommodations for for families, and they are they are getting some of the ancillary benefits of being represented by the MLBPA, right? With like having nutritionists and being able to get a second medical opinion if you need, right? And being covered by the um, drug testing fucking law <laughs> agreement. Yeah, agreement. That's the joint the agreement. And they also get name and name, image, and likeness back. And they get back. name, image, and likeness back, which is which is. I mean, you know, there are a lot of minor leaguers who can't do very much with that, but also none of them have ever had it, right? Yeah. Major League Baseball has always, <laughs> as as Michael Bauman, friend of the pod, deftly pointed out in in the pages of of Fangraphs, it was this interesting double edged sword of you are not worth enough to be. Um, Paid commensurate to your value because you don't provide very much, but you provide just enough that we're going to hold on <laughs> to your rights so that we can do what we want with it, right? So it's <laughs> it's amazing that something like that has like finally been been wiped out. Um, I think my big like my biggest worry moving forward is I don't want fans and the public to sort of lose that energy that we've had over the last six months or so, right? Like there are still improvements to be made, and there's still going to be confrontations down the road. And I want people to be just as amenable to those fights, those changes, as they are right now, because they're still important. That's very well put, because I look at the CBA, like you said, as a good first step, that when it expires, maybe the existence of it takes some of the ill will out of how minor leaguers feel for how they've been treated for so long. But I think that when it expires, there are you know many things that will be worth revisiting and it's the same trap that we get ourselves into with the major league cba where fans the the media the wider reaction to something is like thank god there's baseball back or like thank god this this xyz condition was improved and it's like well the point of a the point of a cba is that it pauses the fight it doesn't end the fight it's not just in perpetuity you come back every five years and you sign this thing again like in five years from now they should look at this document and they should say, okay, starting point, but we want to improve every single part of it. And like, maybe, you know, maybe I'm strawmanning a little bit, but like the, the tone of the reaction to the news that there was a CBA was a little bit like, thank God we got that problem behind us. And I think that that's a dangerous mindset. Yeah. Famously, famously unions work is done once they get their first CBA. Like that's, I don't think any union has ever had to struggle beyond that point hopefully we um we're able to talk to some of the people that were involved in this deal and ask ask some questions about what the process was like because i feel like we don't have a big window into what actually happened with the with the major league cba it was like we got videos of everybody walking back and forth every time there was a new proposal and with this one it was like we just found out that they were even bargaining like a month ago and then we just got news dumped that we had a CBA. So I just, there's still a lot of questions. 
Yep, I agree. Um, damn, dude, the miners are unionized. It's pretty cool. That's fucking crazy. The one thing that I that I feel bad for not having mentioned yet too is that they now officially have a grievance process. Like before, the only way for them to get any kind of legal recompense for anything that a team was doing for to them was to literally sue them and at either take it to a class action lawsuit or go to court by yourself against the team that is currently employing you and say you violated XYZ law and hope that the judge sides with you. And now what they have is a grievance process built legally into the CBA where if they feel like a team is running afoul of what they've agreed to, they can grieve it and then a neutral arbiter will look at this document and vote on whether or not MLB is violating this document. And that is like so much easier (laughs) than suing your employer in court Mm -hmm. (laughs) for so many reasons because like they now have the resources of the union to file this grievance with and the lawyers that are employed by MLBPA and a a document that they can actually point to that is not a law that might change in the time span that you are actually suing the team. Like there are so many different things that make this so much easier and better that just by nature of a CBA going into effect immediately improves people's lives. Yeah. We'll see. You want to ban this one from the pod too? Just get it out of the way. <laughs> what else can we ban? Should we ban the Mets and the A's? Probably for <laughs> our own sake. I think that does it for this week. Is this a short pod or is this just a normal pod? And we've just been doing such long ones recently. I don't know, but the pace of play stuff that we uh, that we implemented seemed to have worked. So <laughs> we actually have a rule, a set of rules that's pasted to the wall in the studio that if you violate it you have to get out is 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 talking about pace of play allowed i guess pace well, of play is own. not a rule change right well i was talking about our own rule changes too that would be a good pod rule changes for for the podcast <laughs> don't things, don't things you're no longer allowed to do don't ban relevant <laughs> topics <laughs> from discussion your first rule change for the pod don't ask me to do the transatlantic accent <laughs> Have you checked in with your man JJF recently? Did you send him a text congratulating him on the opening day win? And the crowd at opening day to 27,000. 27,000. That's pretty good. That's 20,000 more than their their best game last year. Ouch. Harsh. Fair. <laughs> uh no, no, it's it's been a little bit actually. Um I mean, I did I did check in on him um for uh, for some research I was doing for the next Patreon newsletter. Uh, there's going to be some some wow. fascinating little tidbits Look at in that. there. Look at that teaser. Look at that teaser. You're already working on the newsletter? You're doing <laughs> right? research for the newsletter already? I was doing it last week. A week in advance? Mm-hmm. That is really special stuff out of you. What? Yep. So you're raising the bar this year, huh? Well, it's going to make it even more embarrassing when it's still a week <laughs> late. <laughs> You're like a you're like doing a Shaq and Kobe thing with me right now. You're like, I'm already doing research for the newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Shaq's coming into camp out of shape. You're not doing research for the newsletter a week in advance. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash tipping pitches. That's Don't that. Backslash. Don't put the no back. Backslash. Again, it'll still work, but, still you, work, but we will get roasted it. for Don't it. Don't put it. You it will change in the address bar automatically, but still, don't put it. Don't yeah, you dare. You'll feel stupid. Three different tiers, $5, $7, $12. They all get you different stuff. You can see what they get you on the website. You know, you can also call Tipping Pitches. You can call Tipping Pitches and you can just speak your mind. Share your thoughts, your takes, your observations from opening day, 
your ups, your downs, your lefts, your rights, anything yeah. that you want to talk about. 785-422-5881. I'm saying it slower because sometimes I listen back to the pod and I listen at one and a half speed and I'm just like, <laughs> right. that was a bunch of numbers and I don't know any of them. I mean, I know the number, but like if right. you're... You're the guy reading the medical warnings at the end of of like a... Tylenol commercial or something. You are legally allowed to call tipping pitches. The number is 7542258881. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've banned discussion between us regarding rules and analytics and such on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We haven't banned listeners. I'm just putting it out there. Interesting. We may not be able to respond. This is like a real living document of a <laughs> of a concept. Mm-hmm. The banned topics. Mm-hmm. Last week. We let Stephen and Becca talk about it. Right. And we kind of responded, but you and I didn't discuss it between the two of us. So it's, it's kind of unclear, you know? There's a lot of gray area in these laws. Yeah. Like with MOB's rules, you know? Again, it's whatever your heart feels like. Some might the say there's not enough gray area in MOB's rules. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that, and I don't know if I would say it to you on the Tipping Pitches podcast. But if you catch me, you catch me offline. I might have some thoughts about it. <laughs> you can also email the pod, uh, tippingpitchespod at gmail dot com. Anything else, Alex, that you would like to you know predict for the twenty twenty three season? I'd like to predict. Well, you know, I saw the I saw the annual uh, Spin magazine where they talk to every musician who's a baseball fan, like literally every. There's like a hundred and fifty mm-hmm. respondents on that. Yeah. It's like a thirty thousand word article. <laughs> I'm just getting my editing thoughts out right now. (laughs) It's like, by the end of it, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are, but they like the twins. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, I saw, I saw on there that all of those musicians were willing to go on the record with predictions for how their teams would do number predictions. So I was wondering if you would like to, to weigh in musician that you are. Mm, That's a good point. Um, I think the A's, Shock the world mm. and win 65 games this year. <laughs> oh, you know what we forgot to talk about? Bryce Harper saying that he reads romance mm-hmm. novels. Yeah. I- <laughs> you were asking for that two-hour pod. Here it is. It's going to go for another hour. <laughs> All right, get it out. Have you read any of these books? I haven't. So have you heard of L. Kennedy? I haven't either. I actually have. Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay, great. That's where that's the extent. I don't know. <laughs> TikTok probably. Oh, great. <laughs> but it seems that, you know, we, we've bandied about the idea of the tipping pitches book club. And while I think that in that concept at first was like, maybe let's read baseball books. Um, I kind of like the idea of Bryce Harper's book club. You know, let's read what Bryce is reading. I'm obsessed with the fact that he said this to GQ. Yeah. First of all, the growth of Bryce Harper. There's no way he would have said something like this five years ago. No. Number one. Number two. It's not very alpha male of him. I thought that this book would be like, okay, you know, it's 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 like an airport romance novel, but it's like, it has like a crime plot or like something like that. Nope. And I went to it and it's just two hockey players that fall in love. Are you and, surprised? And, and it's Are like, you surprised? It's like a horny book too. Like, right. it's not just like a... Oh, they fell in love. Here's their sweet love story. It's like it's it's steamy, saucy. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I'm so proud of Bryce. The growth. Oh, I finally found what I was looking for. <laughs> Taking back Sunday's John Nolan saying that he wasn't sure what the baseball gods would have in store for the New York Mets this season because 
you know, he's a Mets fan. He's been a Mets fan his whole life from Long Island. Very up and down experience to be a Mets fan. And then they asked him for how many games they thought the, that he thought the Mets would win. And he said, I don't know, probably 110. <laughs> Come on, John Nolan. That's baseball brain right there. <laughs> is it? Is that baseball brain or is that I feel like they play 200 games, so I'm just going to predict 110. Right. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way he's like that. There's no way he knows that that's only six away from the record. Right. Because you don't predict that. <laughs> There's no way. Like, Steve would not have predicted that the Blue Jays are going to win 110 games, no. even though he feels really good about them. He's in here talking about the Blue Jays, as he always is. Yeah. Really wringing his hands over them. <laughs> like, Steve, it's going to be okay, <laughs> it's gonna dude. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. 110 games. John Nolan, New York, New York Mets. You it heard could, it first. It could happen. If the Mets win 110 games this year, will you allow me to put your make damn sure cover in the podcast sure yes really I'll agree to that right now really handshake yep. handshake handshake all right we're shaking Do hands it. it's real it's real yep. it's real i'm gonna take a photo of this moment uh-huh now we're just holding hands <laughs> it has been written that if the new york mets <laughs> win 110 games this year make damn sure alex Baisley's version 12 years old baby is playing on the podcast this is the best day of my life now, now, you have, now you have something now to root I'm for. Now I'm back in on the Mets. <laughs> God, now I'm going to watch every single game this year. This is great. This is the best thing ever. We need to do more bets like this. This is great. Amazing. <laughs> okay. I don't think we can top that, so I think we should just wrap up there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!